Good evening. That's one of the first times I believe I've ever been in a church building where they were told that they had to move back instead of move up, so it's kind of unusual. I am excited to be here tonight. I'm thankful for the opportunity to come and to, to speak. Uh, I've known Steve for several years, back from my youth ministry days, several years ago. I've known him for some time. I've known Tony uh, for many years. Tony is a, you know this, and I don't know whether Tony can hear me or not, but that's okay if you can. But Tony is one of those people that I look up to because Tony is such an encourager. And as a minister, we need those people. I have my wife that, that encourages me greatly. I have a lot of people that encourage me, but when you have a fellow preacher to encourage you like what Tony Lawrence does, it, it means a lot. And I'm very thankful for him. And Bobby Branch is, is blessed to have Tony here. But you know that. I don't need to tell you that. But I'm thankful to be here. Howard and, and Barbara Weedy, uh, they attended New Hope when I first came to New Hope four years ago. Uh, Howard was one of the elders there, and, and he hired, he was on board to hire me, and then he left. <laughs> Never have understood that, but uh, that's beside the point. But, but I'm very thankful to be here. When Tony called and asked me to come and be with you, uh, he told me it was on the great events of Jerusalem. And uh started racking my brain, and instantly uh, Nehemiah came to my mind. So that's what we're going to study tonight. So if you have your Bibles and want to open them up to Nehemiah, that's where we'll begin. We're going to do a, a brief history lesson first, because I need to kind of set the stage up for, for where I'm going with this lesson. Uh, but we will eventually wind up in Nehemiah uh, chapter 1. But I always like to begin with a word of prayer, so let's, let's go to God in prayer as we begin. Father, we do thank you for your son Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for loving us and blessing us the way that you have. Father, it's a, a blessing to be here tonight and have this opportunity to, to open up your word and to study. And Father, it's, it's my prayer that you'll help me present this lesson in a way that, that we all can benefit, but Father, may everything that, that we say and do tonight, uh, Father, may it be according to your will. Father, just bless us as we study. Have, help us to have open minds and open hearts. We're so thankful for your word that you've left for us to guide us through this life. Father, just help us as we try to, to grow more and more each day and try to be more and more like our Savior Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. When Nebuchadnezzar finally demolished uh, the city of Jerusalem around 586 or 587 B.C., there were a large portion of the uh, Jews, mostly they were leaders, skilled laborers, and, and those type of people, important Jews, I guess you could say, that were carried away to Babylon in exile. And the temple was just, uh, you know, Steve mentioned the temple, it was just left in ruins. There, there was nothing left of it. The city was utterly destroyed. The Jews that were left there in Jerusalem around 586 when it was captured by the Babylonians, uh, was was the Jews that were left there were just poor Jews. They, they didn't have the money to rebuild uh, the city. So a short time later, after the, the city collapsed or the city was captured, uh, the Persians and the Medes uh, kind of got together, and they, were, they joined forces under a king named Cyrus. You've probably heard of him. And the Medes and the, and the Persians went in, and they conquered uh, the Babylonians. Cyrus... The king was a very tolerant king. And when he captured uh, Babylonian, 
he allowed some of the Jews to return to their, their homeland. I, I guess he felt sorry for them, but he signed an edict, an edict, and he sent them back so that they could go back and rebuild their, their temple, rebuild their place of worship, rebuild their, their city. Um, not all Jews returned. Uh, during this time, a lot of the Jews that were captured at that time, well, they liked it there in Babylonia, in the Babylonian uh, Empire because uh, there were a lot of freedoms for them. They had already set up shops, so to speak, and, and they were, were, were very, very comfortable there. So many of the Jews stayed, and they didn't return back to Jerusalem. But suddenly in 529, Cyrus died during a battle in the Indian mountains. His son Cambius, I guess is how you say that, he took over and he conquered Egypt around 525. But his son Cambius, uh, he mysteriously came up dead around 522. So for just a few short years, uh, he reigned as king. That's when Darius, the king, uh, took office. Darius was succeeded in five, oh, excuse me, in 486 by his son Xerxes. Xerxes had inherited a, a great Persian empire that his father Darius had, had uh, established. It was a very well organized uh, uh, empire that he had established. And Darius was a very well trusted king. People liked him. He was very popular, but Xerxes was not the that was not the case for him. People did not trust him. But Xerxes reigned until 465 when Artaxerxes took over and he reigned until 424. During Artaxerxes' reign, there were a lot of revolts that tried to overthrow the, the empire. And um, there were a lot of economical struggles that were going on during that time. Well, all this was setting up perfectly for Alexander as he was coming through and just capturing nation after nation after nation. And that's when the Persians fell and uh, Alexander conquered this empire. So Jerusalem changed hands. I wanted you to kind of see uh, Jerusalem changed hands several times uh, throughout the course of just uh, a matter of 100, 150 years. Jerusalem really changed hands and it ch the looks of Jerusalem changed as well. But tonight I want us to focus really on Nehemiah's work. Uh, Nehemiah, when he returned back to rebuild those walls of Jerusalem and I want us to look at some of the adversity that he had to, that he encountered as well. But he overcame those things. And that's really, there's application for us when we start to look at Nehemiah's work. Uh, there's plenty of application for us there. As we begin to read about Nehemiah, we see rather quickly that Nehemiah was a very determined individual. He was very determined once he got permission to return back to his homeland to rebuild the city, he was very determined to carry out that order. Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem around 445 B.C. He was the governor there of Judah, and he was appointed by Artaxerxes. Uh, the governor had the authority to um, um, all the religious uh, activities that went on. He had the authority to plan those. Uh, he had the authority to help with the economical uh, downfall at that time, and and he was really in control. But uh, he, he arrived about 445 B.C. And that's really where we'll pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1. That's about the time, uh, time frame that we'll pick up and read. So let's begin reading in Nehemiah chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. 
The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Kislev in the twelfth year, twentieth uh, year, excuse me, as I was in Shushan, the citadel. And Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with me from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who were left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and the gates are burned with fire. And Nehemiah, when he heard this news, it, it was bad news. He had heard the condition of his homeland uh, back in Jerusalem, and it wasn't really what that he wanted to hear. He, he had heard that the walls were torn down, that the, the city gates were burned, that there was nothing but just ruin there in the city. But I want you to notice with me in verse 4 on what Nehemiah said. It says, uh, when I heard these things, when I heard these words, that uh, I sat down and I wept, and I mourned for many days. Nehemiah had uh, sympathy for those Jews that were left. He had sympathy for his homeland. If you think about, if, you'd be, if you've ever been away, and I, I hope that this is not the case for any of you, but if you've ever been away, like on vacation, and if you came back and your house was destroyed, I mean, it would bring you great sorrow, wouldn't it? I mean, you would mourn over that, and it would bring you great sorrow. That's kind of what is happening here. He was pushed to tears. When he heard the news uh, about the city of Jerusalem, he was, he was pushed to tears. Now, I want you to think with me for just a moment. What is it that makes us cry? Now, when we're sad, we cry. I was at a funeral this morning, and I saw people crying. You know, funerals is the place that we cry, but we also cry at weddings. I did a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and, and there was mama, not my mama, but the, the bride's mother and the, the groom's mother sitting there crying. We, we cry at happy occasions as well. You know, we, we've, if you're a sports fan like I am, you, you've, you've seen athletes on TV when time runs out, and if, they're, they, if they hang their head in bitter defeat, you know, maybe they cry. You know, there's a lot of things, sad movies. My daughter will cry at the drop of a hat when it comes to any movie almost. She's very emotional when it comes to that. But we cry at movies. We cry at sad songs. We cry at a lot of different things. Our emotions will get away from us. But I want you to think about what is it that really pushes us to mourn, to be sorry. And all we have to do is just turn on the television. And just turn on the news. This morning I got up and I usually watch uh, Sports Center and I flip back and forth to uh, uh, Channel 17 News. And I watch the local news and Sports Center back and forth. Well, now I, I'm not a big baseball fan, sorry. But uh, right now there's not a lot happening in the sports world for me. Um, and uh, this morning I, I was sitting there and I was watching the local news. And I, I honestly, I forget. Because I think there were like six shootings that happened in Nashville last night. Or within the last couple of days. Church, we, we only need to look around us in the world that we live in today. And if it doesn't bring us to tears, then we better check our pulse. Because we live in a world where, where they have tried to change the definition of marriage. Now listen, they can change the laws of the land, but they'll never change the law of God. But yet, if we look around and we see how they're trying to change the definition of marriage, it should make us cry. It should make us mourn. It should make us weep. 
many other things. People today are accepting sexual and immoral acts uh, like they're just the common, the common everyday thing. You know, I, I'm 51 years old. I'm 51 years old. I'm not that old, but I can remember in a time when, when you didn't even say the word pregnant. I mean, there's a lot of things that we accept in society today that, that 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we didn't accept. And now they get on TV and we don't even blush. They don't, it, it doesn't bother us. Nehemiah heard this horrible news about the city of Jerusalem, the city that he loved, the city that, that the Jews had lived in for so long. And yet when he heard that the walls had fallen, had been broken down, and the gates had been burnt, he cried, he wept. But I want you to notice his example. Because this is very important, I believe, uh, for what Nehemiah did so that we can put application in this lesson today. Nehemiah didn't simply just sit around in, 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 in ashes and sackcloth and cry. I want you to look with me in verse 5 at what he did. Verse 5, Nehemiah chapter 1 says this, And I said, I pray. I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Verse 6, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now. Day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. Now do you see what Nehemiah is doing? Nehemiah is going to God on behalf of his, his brothers, on behalf of his family, on behalf of other Jews. And he, he is, he's, going, he's beginning the, the starting process. He's already coming up with a plan, but you know who he includes first? God. He includes God first. We need to include God first in everything. Any decision that you may have to make, God needs to be included. I tell people all the time that I, uh, couples that come into my office for premarital counseling, I'll tell them one of the things that I tell them that's very important, okay, and you've probably heard this before, you invite God to the, to the wedding, now you need to invite Him to the marriage. God, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, God needs to be first and foremost whenever there's a decision to be made. Whenever there's anything that, that we're trying to come up with, God needs to be included. Jeremiah, uh, excuse me, Nehemiah said, you know, I know what I need to do. I know what I want to do. I need to include God. Let's continue reading verse 7. He says, we have acted very corruptly against you, and we've not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you have commanded your servant Moses. Verse 8, remember I pray." the Lord that you command your servant Moses saying if you are unfaithful I will scatter you among nations but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them though some of you were cast out of the farthest parts of heaven yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand verse 11 O Lord I pray please let your hear He's already said this once. Please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day 
I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight uh, in this sight of this man. In this prayer, we see Nehemiah praising God, thanking God, and also including God. And that's one of the first lessons that I, I see from this text is we need to make sure that we're including God in everything. Uh, most prayers that we read of in the Bible, um, most of the time, they, they don't really focus on, on the sick or on some type of financial problem that we may be coming uh, encountering at this time. And there's nothing wrong with praying for those things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, there, that you shouldn't pray for those. But one of the things that you see repeatedly throughout the Old Testament especially, you see in these men, and, and even Hannah, you go back and see in her prayer, the sovereignty, the, the power of God. You know, they, they recognize that power that's within, that God holds within His hands. I mean, God, in, in the beginning, God said, and what happened? It happened. God said, let there be light, and it was light. There's power in His words, and, and, and they recognize that. I'm afraid that we don't recognize that as we should, as much as we should anyway. Another thing that Nehemiah, as we begin to read this, is Nehemiah, not only did he devise the plan, he began to devise a plan, included God, but now Nehemiah is going to follow through with his plan. If you've ever been on an airplane, my wife and I are going to be uh, traveling in December. and We're looking to book some flights right now. We're actually uh, trying to nail that down. But when I get on that airplane in December, I'm not going to worry about where I'm going because the pilot's already been instructed. I, my ticket's going to say the city that I'm, my destination. The pilot, I'm trusting. <laughs> I'm trusting that they'll fill the thing full of, 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 of fuel so that we'll have enough to get there. I'm trusting that all the other things are, are taken care of. You know, if you've ever been on an airplane as you walk into uh, the, the, you look up in, well, you used to could, you could look into the cockpit and you could see the pilots in there doing all these tests, flipping all these buttons, and I have no idea what they do. But anyway, they're, they're making preparation. See, before that plane ever takes off down, taxis down the runway, there's been a lot of preparation that's been involved. You know, Nehemiah devised this plan. He prepared this plan. He came up with this plan. And now he's going to put this plan into action. He didn't just sit down one day and say, oh, I think I'll just go back and rebuild the wall. That's not what he did. But look with me over in Nehemiah chapter 2 now. Flip over to uh, chapter 2, beginning there in verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had uh, never been sad in his presence before. Now, Artaxerxes, excuse me, Nehemiah was the cupbearer of Artaxerxes. You know what that meant. What he would do is he would uh, take the, the cup and the food, he would taste the food, he would drink the wine or, or the, the liquid, whatever it was that he would give him. He would test it before the king would get it. He was, you know, the cupbearers got really, really close to the king. They, they would get really close. They had to be somebody that they really and truly trusted. Because a lot of times people would try to kill, they'd try to poison the king by putting something in their food or something in their, in their drink. So that's, that was Nehemiah's job. Nehemiah's job was to die before the king did. That's basically what a cupbearer did. But in verse 2 it says, Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you're not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. 
So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be, sa- <clears throat> not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Then the king said to me, well, What do you request? So I prayed uh, to, the, to the God of heaven and I said to, to the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Verse 6, Then the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent him a time. Furthermore, I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they uh, must permit me to pass uh, through till I come to Judah in a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains, um, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them uh, to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Verse 9, Then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them to the king's letters gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with him. When Sanballat and Hornonite, uh, the Hornonite and, the, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. Now here's what happens. Here's what happens all too often, I'm afraid, in the workplace, and I'm afraid it even happens in the church. Nehemiah had uh, went to the king, and he stuck his neck out, really, what he'd done. He stuck his neck out, and he asked for all these things. He asked for letters uh, so the other governors would allow him to be able to come in and rebuild these walls. He also asked for, the, for Asaph to, to grant him, to give him the temper that he needed in order to rebuild the walls in the, in the temple. But here's what happens a lot of times. We may devise a plan, and then somebody shoots it out of the air quicker than what it took us to devise that plan. I was in the printing industry for over 30 years, and I was the manager of a print shop. And one of the things that I always tried to do was the people that, that, that I was in charge of, I would always talk to them on a regular basis about, hey, you got any new ideas? You got anything, any, anything that we can do to improve production from your standpoint? Instead of me going out and beating them over the head and telling them, produce, 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 I would always try to get their input. You know, a lot of times what happens today in the workplace and in the church, is we may come to the elders, we may come up with this idea and say, hey, let's try this. And before you know it, somebody says, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. There's no way that will work. And then what do they do? They go and they tell somebody else, that, do you hear what so-and-so wants to do? And before you know it, there's chaos within the church. There's chaos in the workplace. Nehemiah went to the king. He had had a plan in mind. He knew what he needed to do. There was still opposition that we'll see later on in this particular book, but he went there with one goal and one purpose in mind. You know, one thing that the church needs today more than anything else and that's working together. I'm talking about the church universal, okay? We need to work together. 
we need to be working together. My grandfather used to have, when I was a little bitty boy, I remember my grandfather had these two big white mules. Huge mules. Well, for me, I was a little bitty fella. But I remember these big old white mules. And I remember my grandpa going out and he would hook the plow to these mules. And he would plow the garden with these mules. And I can remember walking over that freshly turned dirt right in my grandfather's footsteps, trying to keep his big old footsteps. But I, I would I'd walk along behind him. I've often wondered, what would happen if those two huge mules decided, oh, I've got a better idea of how to get this accomplished? And the other one says, well, that's stupid. I've got a better idea. And they begin working against one another. What's going to happen? Well, Grandpa's garden's not going to get plowed. Watermelon's not going to get planted. And grandchildren's not going to be happy. That's what's going to happen. But in the church today, if we would work together, if we would work together, support our elders, support our deacons, Support the ideas that, that the membership comes up with and work together. You see that, you see that in a lot of congregations and it, and it works really well. Go with me to Romans chapter 12 real quickly. I want to show you Paul uses uh, Romans chapter 12 to, <coughs> excuse me, he uses the human body to describe uh, the church. And I want you to look with me in Romans 12, uh, beginning there in verse 4 at what Paul says. Paul says in verse 4, he says, For as, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individual members for one another. Now Paul said in these two verses that the church is one body, but that it could only function as one body if all the members were willing to work together. We are one body. And that means that a lot of times, in order for us to function as one body, we have to put aside any selfish desires that we may have. Look in verse 3. Verse 3 of that same chapter. Paul said, For I say, uh, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. And this is the attitude, this is a servant's heart's attitude. This is the attitude that I believe Nehemiah had when he went to King Artaxerxes and asked him for these letters and asked him for these uh, timbers and all the things that he needed. He had a servant's heart. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, we need, in order to have that servant's heart, Paul tells us that we need to not be like the world. He says in verse 2, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we do this on a daily basis. Paul says, don't be like the world. Be different from the world. And I think perhaps that's what Nehemiah was doing. So Nehemiah has devised this plan. He, he's, he's, he's went to, to get the necessary things that he needs. And now he's going to put it into action. Real quickly, I want to go to, uh, I've got a couple more minutes. Uh, go to Nehemiah chapter 2, back to our text, in verse 11. So I came to Jerusalem, Nehemiah says, so I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Now I rose in the night, and I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Nor was there any animal with me except the one which I rode. 
And I went out by night through the valley gate of the serpent wall in the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem which were broken down and its gates which were burned with fire. Then I went to the fountain gate in the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up, to the, uh, went up in the night by the valley and, and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the others who uh, did the work. Nehemiah went into the city of Jerusalem. Once he arrived there, Nehemiah went in to investigate the city for himself. But you notice what he did? He went in under the cover of night. He went in to investigate it really secretly because he wanted to make sure of everything before he would go back to those that were with him to help him rebuild the city. He wanted to gather as much as much information as he could. But here's one of the things that I really, really, truly love about Nehemiah. And I want to skip down to, to verse 17 of Nehemiah chapter 2. As Nehemiah's gone back to the city to investigate on his own, to find out what's actually happened, he's devised this plan, he has people with him, and he wants to rebuild his homeland, his his home city. Look at verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be approached. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's word, words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up, and build. Then they set their hands to doing good work. I want you to notice what Nehemiah does. Because this is really important when it comes to rebuilding that city. Nehemiah had already, had already envisioned what it would look like for the city to be rebuilt. And now Nehemiah is extending a hand. Come, join me. Let's build together. You know, when I start to look at this... I start to think about giving people ownership in the church. You know, there are a lot of things that, that, I mean, a church, a successful church, a church, a sound church, a, a, a biblical church, one like what we have here at Bobby Branch, it doesn't just happen overnight. And it's more than just one or two people that, that make sure everything that goes on. I don't know the ins and outs of this church. But I guarantee you, you have somebody that takes care of, of every small little detail here at the church. Whether it be to make sure that there is something as simple as toilet paper in the, in the bathrooms, to making sure that the building is clean, making sure that the thermostat, whoever has that job, I pity you, that's a horrible job, but, but, uh, but you make sure that everything is done. Vacation Bible School, it didn't just have, you didn't just, the elders didn't just get up last Sunday morning and say, oh, by the way, we're going to have Vacation Bible School. Uh, this has been something that's been planned. So they, they've asked you to join in with them. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. He's encouraging them by rallying the troops, so to speak. He's trying to get them to, to buy into that, to, to have ownership of rebuilding that city. And... I think that's an application that, that can be applied to us in the church today. But I have just a few minutes left, and I want to I kind of touch this point very, very quickly. Um, Nehemiah encounters opposition. 
We know that because there's Sanballat and uh, Tobiah and, and now Geshem comes in and uh, begins to, to cause a lot of problems for Nehemiah. Nehemiah and his crew even had to come up with some ingenious ways in which to work and still protect themselves. They would hold one, uh, a weapon in one hand and work with the other. But there is going to be opposition around every corner. No matter what you're trying to do, whether it's in the church or it's in the workplace or whether it's even in the home, there's going to be people that's going to tell you, you can't do that. You're, you're too young. You're too old. You, you're not smart enough. There, there's going to be somebody that's going to try to hold you back, going to try to oppose whatever it is that you're doing. Nehemiah was doing a great work by, of going in and rebuilding this beautiful city that, that was his homeland. And now, now there's people that's trying to get him to stop doing that. But Nehemiah continued to tell them, those that opposed him and those that worked with him, continued to tell him time and time again, we can do this because we have God on our side. And what is it that, uh, that Paul said that if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, that's an that's attitude that, that we as Christians should have today. You know, we look around us, I've already mentioned this, but we look around us at the world that you and I live in today, and, um, you know, being a Christian, so many times I'm afraid that Christians are just crawling underneath the rock and saying, well, I can't do anything about it. Really? I think we need to take Nehemiah's example. And the first thing we need to do is hit our knees and pray. Pray for this great country. Pray for the leaders of this country. I'm not saying you have to agree with them, but pray for them. Pray that something can be done so that we can continue to enjoy these freedoms that we have. There's going to be opposition everywhere. But when you add God, there's some amazing things that can really happen in our lives. I mean, look at a couple of examples. Moses survived the flood. Could Moses have survived the flood by him? Uh, Moses. Noah, that's what it says in my Bible anyway. Noah survived the flood. Could he have survived the flood without God? No. Because who told Noah how to build the ark? God did. Moses is the one that led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, but could Moses have accomplished that on his own? No. No, because God had to lead him and guide him. David, when he fought that, that Goliath, that giant, could he have accomplished that on his own? No. No, he needed God. So my point is this. We need to make sure that we're allowing God into our lives and into whatever work it is that we're doing. Nehemiah did that. Nehemiah finally eventually rebuilt the walls of, of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah could not have done that by himself. He had to have the help of God. Let's pray and we'll end. Father, we do thank you for the example that Nehemiah has left for us. Father, we're thankful that uh, we can open your word and we can study about uh, his, his feats that he's accomplished with your help. And Lord, I pray that each one of us would look into our lives and look into the ways that, that we serve you. And Father, if we're not serving you the way that we should, I pray that we would uh, do something about that tonight. Father, just continue to bless us and continue to watch over this good congregation. 
Father, help them to have a successful vacation Bible school this week. And again, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight. Father, continue to bless us and keep us. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.